Hi, I'm Emily Salaby, founder of Juno Jones, the stylish safety boot company, and your host on the Hazard Girls podcast here on Jacket Media. I'm so honored to host this show where I get to chat with Hazard Girls about their careers. Hazard Girls is an online community for women working in traditionally male-dominated fields. On our show, you'll get to hear from these amazing women about the path that led them to their current careers, challenges they've overcome, advice for other women in entering these industries, and more. Pamela Durkin, ASID. Lead AP is the principal of Pamela Durkin Designs, LLC. She has spent 30 years as an interior designer. She's past president of American Society of Interior Designers South Florida chapter and serves on the Board of Architecture and Design in New Jersey. She's now helping other designers create a business they love through her in-demand designer program. She teaches them how to be magnetic and attract the best clients. This method makes owning a design business easier and more fulfilling. And her book, Elevate, which explains all of this, can be found on Amazon, which we're very excited to hear more about. Welcome to the Hazard Girls podcast, Pamela. Thank you so much for having me. It's cool to be here today. Well, a lot of times, you know, whatever our business is, we have to remove our creative hat, which we all love our creative hat, but we have to remove it and we have to put on our sales hat. You know, there are some of us who like this better than others. A lot of creative types don't like it too much. You use the hilarious hashtag on your LinkedIn page, hashtag no more barf bags. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> you said sales calls make you want to throw up and I totally, I totally get that. I think a lot of us can relate to that. What did you mean by that, though? And and let, let's talk about that a little bit. So let me just say that I think even though we're creatives and we have that creative hat, I actually think we should be using that in that part of our business, in the sales and marketing part. Um, we think we need to remove it. And I think we actually need to dive into it more so we can get into mm. that. You know, what started all this was, you know, I have had my own business for a long, long time, and we always need to be drumming up business. And when I was earlier on, I needed to drum up more business because I didn't have any contacts. I had moved to Florida from New Jersey. So I was rebuilding a business that I already had, but in a new location. So starting from scratch again. And the thought of picking up the phone and just calling people that I didn't know, I still, first of all, still don't, I don't do it that way. Still don't do it that way. I'm true introvert. But the reality is that we need when we're in our own business, we need to keep the train rolling down the tracks. So we need to have business in the pipeline. We need to know that we're getting projects. So the thought of, you know, picking up the phone and maybe cold calling just made me want it literally, even now it makes me queasy. So yeah, there's no, got to be a better way, right? Yeah, there's got to be a better way. Yeah. And there is, is there is a better <laughs> way. So I think that what people can do relatively easy is, you know, we all have contacts that we're just not working or um, we go to networking events and we're being very reactive. Like if someone comes up to us or if they ask us for our card, we're kind mm -hmm. of waiting for them to then go ahead and contact us. Right. And I think that we can be much more proactive, but in a non-salesy way, in a very giving way, in a way that helps each other, which I think is much more in line alignment with those who are creative. Okay. So you're really talking about networking. Networking. Yep, definitely with our existing network and also meeting new people, I guess. Yes. How can we network? What are some techniques we can use to network both in person and online without being one of those 
you know, annoying. Like, DM. what do you got for me today? Got yeah, any projects? Like- How many emails have you gotten from somebody that says, so I'm a, you know, I hate to say this, but artists, you know, <laughs> get the artist email. Hi, it's nice to be connected to you. And here's my website and here's all the things I can do. So let me know when you're ready to buy. Yeah, exactly. And it's it's really like, hmm, I didn't ask for that. I didn't, it's very <laughs> annoying, right? So how do you not be that person? So, right? you know, we kind of call it social selling. So think of yourself, if you went to a networking event, the first thing you would say to somebody is you'd probably introduce yourself, but you would say, how are you? And then we start to figure out ways to get to know them instead mm-hmm. of going for the jugular, which is, do you have any business that you can send my way? So one of the things that I really like is that think about it from a point of giving. So you could either in person or online be like, hey, let me know what's your sweet spot client and how I can help you as I'm going around and networking to other people. How could I include you in that conversation? Should I run across something that actually I think would be really in alignment with what you're doing? The giving part of that beginning of any relationship and continually through a relationship is the best way to make really great contacts. And then people who will then turn around and refer you. Mm. So really it's, it's about offering your own networking and your own services to people. Well, not your services, but your own friendship sort of to people and hoping that they can appreciate that and just kind of get to know you. Yeah. So you're starting from that point of you're saying, Hey, I'm going out and about and I'm doing networking. I'm actively, actively doing this. If I run into somebody that I think would be a good fit for you, let me know. And I will go ahead and pass your name along. The other way that you can do that is um, certainly we want to keep in touch with people. That's the other big hole that I see in networking is that you maybe meet someone, maybe you give them a card. There's a little bit of interest there in terms of working together but then you kind of wait around and nothing ever happens. So I would say how to keep in touch with someone effectively, again, is from a giving standpoint, meaning not only, hey, who can I introduce you to, but if you maybe saw something, an article in a magazine or anything that you think would also be helpful to that person who I'm assuming is in somewhat of a related field, go ahead and send that along to them. That is a great way to stay in touch with, again, from a giving standpoint. The other thing is, I do a monthly newsletter. And so I send that out every time I send a newsletter out, I get referrals every single time. And that's a relatively new thing. I've been doing that since the first of the year, kind of picked that back up in my own business. And so personally, I think printed newsletters, I'm going to sound like a dinosaur here. Printed (laughs) newsletters are extremely effective. And this is, there's a reason why. You're probably going to say, nobody does mail anymore, right? And that's why we want to do printed newsletters because nobody else is doing it. So when you're going to the mailbox and you're only getting one or two pieces of mail and one of them's yours, that is really powerful. The other thing is printed products are what we call sticky, which means somebody brings in the mail and then they put it down on their coffee table to read it, right? And so I have one sitting right here. There you go. And so there you go. So the thing is that it's constantly laying around and people will hang on to them. So mm-hmm. super effective. And you may have noticed like the other day, there's an online website called Lumens, which sells lighting. Huge website. I got a magazine in the mail the other day from an online website. So they think mail is pretty effective too. I've gotten the Amazon book. Maybe some of you have gotten that as well. 
So it doesn't mean that mail is dead. It just right. means that you can use it in a really effective way. And why not be where everyone else isn't, right? So that's what I, you know, everyone's going right, you need to go left. So go left with mail. Yeah. Okay. That's, that's really interesting. And I, yeah, and I, I like that idea. I mean, I don't like the idea that you're wasting paper. <laughs> that That's hard because you don't want well, to, you're you know, not wasting paper because you're not sending it to everybody. Right. You're sending it targeted. You're right? sending a targeted version of that. Now you can obviously do a more eco-friendly paper as uh-huh. well. So, and then they also make some, some paper that obviously can be planted for wildflowers and things like that, that you can print on. I don't know if you've heard of that, but that's another way to echoly address this issue that you're bringing up right now. Yeah. And hope and put a note to make sure people recycle it and all that stuff. And I, I, but I think if it's targeted, it, it serves its purpose. So that's really cool. I like that idea. Okay. So are, are there any other tips and tricks you have that are in that sort of general vein about? Well, I would certainly, anytime you meet somebody, I would definitely write down, like after you've met them, write down some interesting things that you've learned about them. They, you know, everyone loves to talk about themselves more than anything in the world. So if you ask them anything, like what's your favorite sports team? What do you do in your spare time? Do you, you know, do you have a family or do you like to travel? I mean, find some things out about them and then write that down because I think that that also, when you reconnect with them, if you bring up any of those things, they're going to feel like that you have really paid attention to that conversation. And I think that that's also really powerful instead of just, you know, how are you? I'm good. How are you? Kind of getting deeper into that. What do you do when you're not working or what's your favorite thing about your job or whatever? So those are really smart things to continue to, you know, sort of write down and build a profile on somebody. Right. And how is somebody going to blow you off if you remembered the name of their dog? Right. (laughs) Right. And if you're really wooing them, you know, I have a technique called the shock and awe box in my business. You can put in something that's related to that. If like to garden, you can send them, you know, seeds. If they, you know, are Mm -hmm. a sports team, you can send them their favorite, you know, a koozie on their favorite team. I mean, that really makes an impression. And that's really what we want to be doing. We want to be making impression saying that I'm different. You need to, you need to get to know me better. So you talked in your book, I believe, about how to be magnetic to your perfect client. Is that what you're talking about when you say how to be magnetic, like just making yourself available as a as a, a friend and someone who can help and also just getting to know them? Is that what you mean by magnetic? Actually, what I mean by magnetic, so that's just a, a, a you know, an ancillary technique to really be excellent at networking. But to be magnetic, you need to be delving into like, what what are their kind of biggest issues? What are their fears? What are they worried about? What do they really want from your service? And that's when you can start targeting your messaging online and offline about how your product, your service addresses those needs. Like we tend to productize everything that we do, meaning this, this pencil, you know, can write for six years, as opposed to what is it actually getting us? It's a communication tool, right? It just makes us connected to other people in other ways. So kind of diving into that second and third layer of why our our product or service really changes somebody and really helps alleviate a fear, a stress, or gets them farther along to where they want to be. So I'm curious, when you talk about that, are you, so that's what you're you're kind of talking about the mission, of the person's work in a way, right? Like what, what they're, I think the mission of a company is more of an overall broader statement as opposed to how is working with us going to make, you know, your life better. I think the mission of a company can be a bigger 
a bigger overarching mission. So if you're designing your website for your design company or your architecture company or similar, you, do you want to put your product, your results on there, but you also want to put, tell stories. So you're like, you want to tell about interactions and stories that you're having with your clients where in their own words saying how you've made their life easier, how you've made their life better. I mean, in my business in interior design, the biggest fear that people have is that they're going to get ripped off because they tend to be, you know, wealthy and affluent in my market. And so they're worried about somebody coming to them and saying, well, you've got the money, you can spend it and just, you know, kind of willy nilly spending every penny they can come up with, as opposed to being thoughtful and saying, I'm going to create certain areas that, you know, I call it memory points on my website. So certain areas where people's eyes will stop and then we spend more money there. And then we let the other areas just be background to that. So you have to think about what is it that they're worried about? A lot of times in interior design, they've never hired a designer before. So what are their fears around that? We all do it differently. You know, what's going on in your industry that think of it from the client standpoint, if they were interviewing three companies, what would they, you know, they would, there's questions they don't even know to ask because they've never done it before. So how can you address some of these concerns and alleviate that stressor? Mm. Now, one thing you wrote about, I think it was on your LinkedIn or maybe it was on your website, that there was a certain point in your career and your business where you sort of took a step, you step back, you took a look and you realized like, I'm taking, I feel the need to take every client. I'm running myself ragged. Mm-hmm. It's too much. Mm-hmm. And you, you kind of had a revelation. Can you tell us about that? Yeah, I was just, you know, I was taking on too many projects and I was taking on some projects were amazing and other projects were extremely difficult. And I think once I started to get some really, really good clients, I saw the light a little bit and said, how can I create more of this? How can I take more of these projects? How can I be around more of these clients who are really appreciating what I bring to the table? And who really want to, you know, they don't mind spending the money if they're educated on what the decisions are and what the pros and cons are. So that's when I said, wow, can I, where can I put my efforts to make more of these great clients come to me? And then I can start turning down the ones that are not so great because then I know that they're coming, right? The the better ones are coming. Yeah. I'm in a lot of Facebook groups for women in construction and women in architecture, a lot of these fields. And I was just wondering your opinion. Do you think in general, women in architecture tend to be happy in their careers? Are they, are they getting satisfaction? I think that as women, we tend to make, try to make everyone happy in all aspects of our lives at all times at the same level as opposed to, you know, the trade-offs where sometimes there are parts that are, you know, that people are happier in some areas and and not in others. I think we try this challenging, attainable goal to have complete work-life balance, to give Mm -hmm. everything to our job and to our families. And it's definitely hard. I mean, I have to say, you know, I was building my business and doing a lot of my volunteer work when my children were small. And I do look back on it and wonder how I did that. I mean, and in fact, it's one of the reasons I ended up deciding to go on my own is because I was working for someone and I had young children and it was really difficult for me. So that being said, I think having my own business has helped with that work-life balance. I think there's some other stressors, meaning when business isn't there, you're not getting paid, right? So there's a little bit of that stressor 
that you have to deal with. But now that my children are older, I can look back and and really appreciate people with young families and then just having multiple things to take care of, you know, not only work-wise, but outside of work, how challenging that can be. And especially just in, in light of what's going on in the world today, there's just so many things happening that are very stressful in general. So I think that it's always a challenge for us to be content where we are. We tend to be what's next. I need to be more successful. I need to be doing more. I'm not doing enough. I'm not doing it well. So, and I think that's a skill. I think that's a skill that you learn over time by doing some reading, being around other people who are also going through what you're going through to realize it's not just you and you're not alone. What about being appreciated? Do you feel like it is a career where it's easy to feel appreciated from your clients and your employers? It's interesting. I think that in the last two years, it has become much more appreciated because I think the general public at large has firsthand seen and felt the effects of their environment on where they work how flexible that environment can be working from home or then now going back to the office, like all that environmental factors have become, people have become hyper aware of them. Whereas designers and architects, I mean, we always knew how important that environment has been. It just wasn't appreciated necessarily by the public at large. So I think we're in actually a great time for architecture and design, because I think that we're going to start pushing the envelope and start getting back to what I think is our roots of how we affect people's lives by the environment. I think for so long, it wasn't appreciated. So then we kind of watered our vision down to look at this great product, look how this product can change things as opposed to treating the whole environment like we do. And I think that's bringing all of that appreciation forward. For us as designers, I think we're getting excited again about really helping people and then for end users and the public. And let's talk about that a little bit. So how how has it changed? I mean, I think we we think we think of COVID, we think of office spaces and how that's how those office spaces have changed because of work from home and because of germs in the work environments. So how are you designing differently? I think that we're just making residential spaces for sure. They're more flexible, meaning we're using every inch of square footage. No longer is the formal dining room or formal living room. I don't think it was ever really a space that we should have had because I think you should use every inch of square footage that you have. And I think spaces should be flexible, meaning why use something, you know, one week out of the year and leave it 51 weeks out of the year. That just doesn't make any sense to me, especially when we have outside interests and hobbies. And now again, flex space where we might be working from home a couple of days, and then we might be going into the office a couple of days. So I think that's super important to have that. And then also, I think we're going to, you know, move a little bit away from the open plan because of this new way of working and living. Like we need our space to go somewhere where we can have our own time to rejuvenate or be quiet or be thoughtful or work or whatever. So I think that's really important. And then I think that there's just been a real resurgence of work-life balance in terms of understanding 
that, you know, life doesn't begin and end nine to five or nine to eight or whatever it is that there's some other really important aspects to our lives that we also need to nurture and develop. That makes me think of another point that you were talking about. It might be mentioned in your book. I saw it on your LinkedIn. And when you're sort of formulating your priorities um, and you're ba- and creating your boundaries, you're adjusting what you should be doing for your money. So you, you mentioned like, it's important to decide what items you should be handing off mm-hmm. and what items you should be spending more time on. Right. And I'm just curious, how do you, do you sit, do you have a chart? Like, do you sit down and, and map that out? How do you figure that out? So I am a big fan of time blocking. So I do use time blocking in my own business and that had implementing that had made me really aware of how I was over, I was being over ambitious. Have you seen like a lot of us love those to-do lists and you write that to-do list and it's like got like 50 things on it and you think you're going to get all 50 of them done today and you get like <laughs> one done and then you feel like crap because you're like, man, I only got one done, right? And so I think that you should pick three priorities for the day, the three most important things that have to get done. And once those are done, then I feel like you're in the bonus round. Like you just you just had an incredible day. So I think we beat ourselves up thinking that we're going to get so much more done. I also think that we have many distractions that we allow that we don't need to allow. The binging, the bonging, the buzzing. I'm a big fan. My fan, my phone has been on silent for two years. <laughs> so I don't even like, I don't, my phone does not, does not, I never hear my phone, which is great. Is that, is that because you're always looking at it? So you don't need it? No. <laughs> and then the other thing, there's a couple techniques. So If you need to do, here's the thing. If you can do something for 30 minutes uninterrupted, you will actually get so much more done than you think is even possible. So what I would say is if you're distracted by all of the buzzing and such that are either computer or phone, turn all that off and put your phone in another room and give yourself 30 minutes and you will see the accomplishment go up and through the roof because you're, you know, we don't get any appreciable time to work on anything because we're constantly being distracted. And so we have no, we have no train of thought, right? And then going back and then reacquainting ourselves with something because we got interrupted. I mean, think about how much time we're losing just doing that, right? The stopping, the starting, the multitasking, which is, you know, pretty much useless. I mean, don't even bother. So I think there's some of that. And then I think that we are attached to certain things that we don't necessarily need to be attached to, which is checking email every minute or checking a notification from social media every two minutes. I mean, that that stuff's unnecessary. So that's the, the type of things that we can try to focus our time during the day if we can, you know, check your email maybe three times a day you know, or hour intervals or something, but don't check it every five minutes. Is this, so your book Elevate, is this mostly type of thing you're talking about in Elevate? Do you want to share a little bit more about the book and why it would be helpful for people to download it? Yeah. So my book, I I wrote my book, I had done a speech uh, for an organization here in Florida and people really enjoyed the speech. So that was the basis for the book, but the book talks a little bit about marketing It talks about my own journey. It talks about some of the shiny objects I have pursued and what were the ramifications of that as a creative. So it talks a little bit about just my whole entrepreneurial journey. 
And in the book, I do give marketing tips and ideas on how to create your perfect future client, as I call them, your avatar, your all stars and how time and money are interlinked. So I do talk about all those things in the book as well. So but I think we need to be marketers. I think we need to think of ourselves not as creatives and designers, but we need to think of ourselves as marketers as well. I, you know, you mentioned that you had shiny objects, you know, distracting you in your past. And I couldn't help but notice that you had design, you were a purse designer. Is that right? Yes, I, I ended up. Uh, so, you know, these are the things that come along. So I had a contact who had a revolutionary way to print on leather. It was a film that would attach to raw leather and you could print any pattern that you wanted to. And they wanted to make prototypes. And so they said to me, do you want to help? Because we know you're a designer. And of course, I was like, Woo-hoo! what designer does not want to create a product? I mean, it's like super, it's usually like a top of our list, mm-hmm. bucket list item. And so I started creating some patterns and created some handbags and things like that. So created a bunch of handbags, bought a bunch of handbags, had prototypes made, had handbags made, then went to a accessories market and started talking to people and they're like, well, what about this? You didn't, you know, I don't like this detail. You need to come up with something new every season. And I was just like, what? Like I had. A house lasts more than a season. So. (laughs) Oh my God. I was like, I am way over my head. So I, you know, kind of put the cart before the horse. And that was a expensive and interesting lesson to learn that build it as as you go is is the, is the new motto, you know, build it as you go and get feedback as you go along. So that was one of my big shiny objects. Yes, there are a few. <laughs> it's interesting to hear, you know, dif- different professionals journeys of how they got to the point where they are now. And, you know, they're because usually when I'm interviewing people, they're like at this point in their career where they're really thriving and they're able to share and give back with the experiences that they've learned. And that's where you are. So we love hearing that aspect of your story. And by the way, how did you get into, into design to begin with? So believe it or not, I ended up taking a class in high school that was called home economics. Uh-huh. <laughs> and usually in home economics, I think you learned, I don't know, did you learn how to cook and you learned how to a little baking and some other things? Well, my class was taught by an interior designer. Cool. And so we did one whole semester or session on interior design. And I just kind of fell in love with that combination of creativity and technical because I am so evenly right and left brained. And so it really appealed to me. And so after that, I decided that's what I was going to do. I was going to go to school for it. And I think it was relatively new at the relatively new. I mean, Mm -hmm. it wasn't new, but finding schools in the Northeast, relatively new. And my, my mother was mortified that I wanted to be a starving artist, but I went ahead and did it anyway. So here you go. And I'm still still an interior designer. Oh, I wonder if that home ec teacher knows the influence <laughs> that they had. No, she probably doesn't, but. <laughs> you ping her. Yeah. Let her know. <laughs> Send her your book. If I could remember her name, that was a long time ago. <laughs> oh, that's a little Pamela Jerkin, interior designer for 30 years and now helping other designers and women in similar industries to navigate their time and boundaries to create a business they love. I feel like this is really a next step for women. You know, first we had to find our place in these industries, but now we're not just finding our place. We're really asserting our own happiness as priority in these businesses and mm-hmm. you know, allowing it to take top billing. So thank you so much for joining us and 
sharing your wisdom on these issues. Oh, and I, I want to let everyone know where they can find your book and, and find you. Yeah. So if you want a free copy of the book, you can do elevatethebook.com and get a download copy. Or if you want a hard copy, you can always go to Amazon. And I'm also offering a quick interview to tell me what's going on in your business. And I will sign a copy and mail one out to you. So you can find me at online, uh, Instagram, and also my website. Amazing. Well, I'm sure many people will take you up on that. That's a really cool offer, Pamela. Thank you so much for being with us today. Thank you so much. You have been listening to the Hazard Girls podcast on Jacket Media, sponsored by Juno Jones, the stylish safety boot company. That's junojonesshoes.com. And you can go there to learn about our steel toe boots and to join the Hazard Girls community. I'm your host, Emily Salaby. Thanks so much for listening. We'll see you next week. This podcast is a part of the C-Suite Radio Network. For more top business podcasts, visit c-suiteradio.com.